Look at me, sure. Look at me, sure. I'm the captain now. Welcome to Film Fight Club, where we don't fight about film anymore. I think we maybe did when the show started, but there's been less and less fights ever since. I'm local filmmaker Chris Evans. And I'm Virat Nehru, who's not a local filmmaker, who's just a person. He's and not just a person. He, he is a freelance writer and critic. There we go. Hey. Got the intro right. And I'm joined by, in fact, we're joined by Addie Fong, which means that one of us is not here. And that person is Glenn Falkenstein. We've received feedback that this is a show with three dudes and not enough women. So we've listened to you guys, and we have replaced the weakest link of our group. Yes, that's right. We've replaced Glenn with Addy. Getting controversial tonight on Film Fight Club, Let it with Verrat letting us know how he really feels about the former captain of the ship. One yes, the because the uh, somebody else is the captain now, which is Chris Evans. Ha-ha. <laughs> well, we're all doomed. <laughs> yeah, well... Let's see how we go. Everyone cross your fingers and toes. Uh, Addie Fong is a, also a local filmmaker and film enthusiast. Woo. But I think I'm in the minority now with the film critic. Two <laughs> filmmakers versus one critic. Gosh. <laughs> we'll see if it changes Whoa. the dynamic of the show. But Glenn is actually not the weakest link. Don't kill us, Glenn. Um, he is in Tel Aviv, but he'll be back on the show next week. Yes, he's uh, actually enjoying a much-needed holiday. I think if anyone deserves a break, it is Glenn. Glenn. He works super hard, and we're very fortunate to have him, except tonight. Yeah, we're very fortunate tonight to have (laughs) Addie Fong to discuss with us The Beguile, Sophia Coppola's new film. Yes, so we have a very packed show for you guys. We're going to discuss a lot of things. Jagger Jesus, a new Bollywood film, which is unlike anything we've seen in quite uh, a while. I mean... I have finally convinced the panel to watch an Indian film, and I think this is going to be interesting. So right after the Begal, we'll be discussing Jagajasus. Without further ado... Talking about Sofia Coppola's Begal, this was a film which was interesting because I actually enjoy Coppola's take on reappropriating gender politics in adaptations, and I think her strongest suit is adaptations, and how she has an interesting take on usual material and representing and reappropriating that to contemporary politics. However, I don't think this film quite worked for me for several reasons. And Chris, what were your initial thoughts about this? I felt it was very slight. I felt it... um, I I definitely found enjoyment in the film. It's a very, very, very black comedy in my eyes. Um, I think we should... I'll explain the film for the listeners. In case you're not aware, it's basically about a seminary for women in the Civil War in the South and a mysterious stranger who is a Northern Union uh, Civil War soldier who's injured is taken in. And over the course of the film, he proceeds to hit on every single woman in the house. I don't think think that's exactly it. And And I think that's part of the problem of the social dynamics as to what role Colin Farrell's soldier plays in this sort of dichotomy. Because let's uh, hark back to the original Big Isle, which was by Clint Eastwood. And I think this is one of the more underrated Eastwood performances and also one of the underrated Eastwood films. I think from all his filmography, this film kind of stands out as of the king of comedy of Scorsese moment for Eastwood. And what Eastwood brought to that role in that moment of his career is fascinating because he played very much against type. And the way that film was marketed at that time was also pretty misleading because they really harped on about Eastwood's, 
you know, gun-toting, gunslinger, cowboy personality to market the film, whereas he didn't even wield a gun in the entire film, in the original. So I was interested to see where Coppola would take this dynamic. And we had an interesting cast. We have an all-star cast here with Nicole Kidman, Kirsten Dunst, and Ellen Fanning, a.k.a. the Neon Demon, and other people. In fact, I think she's playing the Neon Demon in every film ever now. So she seems to have been typecast. Yes. That, like, young sexualized kind of... Like, I think just sexualized, kind of, period. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> Which uh, I have... Her, yeah. Like some, a Melita figure. Youth. I have some issue with uh, that. But apart from that, I think those were minor issues from a larger, incoherent narrative, which didn't sit well with me. I think, as a film, it doesn't work. As a statement, at times, there are very interesting political statements that come out of the film. But as a coherent piece of work, I'm not sure whether it works. But then again, I'm not sure whether it should work. I think films are meant to exist as pieces of cinema, and I think sometimes that's about it. Addy, what did you think of it? I think that what's really interesting about The Beguiled is actually not just the film itself, which I find pretty average. Um, I find it more interesting what's actually come out of it. So all the kind of news articles, the things on like feminism, sexism, racism that I've been reading recently about the fact that uh, Coppola didn't actually cast any African-American actors or the fact that all of the films accused of being whitewashed. I mean, I didn't really notice it at the time, um, but looking back, I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, all the big stars are all, you know, white, I think, female. I mean, Coppola defended that on historical grounds, but thinking back on the film, I think that the reason she did not do that is it would have positioned the all the women in the film as figures, you know, unsympathetic figures for the audience, I think, in a way, to a degree. It would it would challenge the audience to look past their support of slavery to empathise with them. Yeah, and I think that's somewhat debatable. But at the same time, I don't think the film is as radical as Coppola thinks it is. It mm-hmm. is still quite safe and vanilla, I thought Which it, it, I think is the film's biggest drawback. It had a lot of bombastic material to play with in terms of history, in terms of political narratives, in terms of sexual narratives, and none of that is explored in the way it could have been. I felt it was it's pretty without being beautiful. The, aesthetically, you know, it's it's all very pretty, but almost too fussed over visually. My biggest problem was the tone and the tonal shift that happens in the second half. You know, it goes from somewhat a light-hearted black comedy to, I don't know what, actually, to be honest. I don't know how to categorize the second half. There's, and there's still, it's, yeah, I, I agree that tone was, tonal shift wasn't quite well handled. There still is some black comedy in there, even as uh, Colin Farrell becomes increasingly threatening. I, I think that's there, but also at the same time, I don't think Farrell has that magnetic charm that he thinks he does have on screen. I think he's a fantastic actor, but he probably doesn't have the magnetism to pull off this role. Yeah, it, it's a very this, complex yeah. role, especially because a lot of it relies on non-verbal acting, and it's just, you know, suggestive. Mm. It's a very suggestive thing, and something which uh, both Kidman and Kirsten Dunst do pull off very well. But I think then again, even with Elle Fanning, was the weakling in the female casting for me as well, because she really, really, really dumped down a pretty badly written character anyway, but still, <laughs> her performance really 
I don't know. Yeah, I, I, don't, I couldn't. Sorry. I don't. I I feel like um, Fanning's acting was. I don't know. I kind of felt that she was all right. Yeah, but okay. typecast though. Yeah, I couldn't really typecast. get a handle on that character at all. I completely agree with Virat. It, it, it she, didn't. It didn't fan my fancies. No, she was. Ba- th- th- that it's actually symptomatic of the film as a whole, which is that it introduces an idea and then doesn't really develop it any further. It's a very surface level film. You grasp the idea about the social dynamic and uh, what's going on and then the film just kind of repeats along those lines until the shift happens and then it's over before you know it. It feels way too short at 94 minutes long and all of the characters are fairly one-note individuals in this. Yeah. And also at the same time, I think it's symptomatic of a lot of cinema these days where a lot of films think they are a lot more intelligent than they actually are. And I think that's what it is, where you're not quite sure of committing to a statement that you're trying to make, but at the same time, you think you're covering all the bases. And I think that's lazy filmmaking. That's something we should not aspire to. We should be making a statement and standing by that ground and not trying to appease everybody. I think that's why the film falls a bit, where it's trying to do too much and doesn't commit to anything in general. I think, simply put, though, the fact that Colin Farrell, he's he's just a man. Like, I just see him as just this man who comes in the presence of women. And so the way that women react to him is basically bare bones of this story. And that is basically how Coppola's shown how, yeah, society can react to just a gen- like somebody from a different gender to appear in a situation. And that's really what I got from it and what... If it's, I don't want to, yeah, I, I think yeah. that sort of contemporary through line to gender politics today is very strong and very apparent. I felt that could have been developed even further, but I can see that that was definitely one of the most strongest parts of the film. It's yeah, it's basically a story about how a man exploits the social strata using women to his advantage. Which means that women seem to want to be yeah. like can be manipulated. In that yeah, time. it's about women gaining agency but still within that that social thing yeah but still being unable to break out of yeah i i think it's the the opposite it's the idea that women think they've gained some kind of but they can't escape the greater yeah the greater in that house which is a exactly and they can't perceive of leaving the house yeah even though that could be the answer to all of their problems yeah, but also could it though, uh, or Maybe is that, not, or is that yeah. house a is safe a haven of where safety or it, yeah, of trapped or, or, or entrapment, where yeah. the idea where they have justified or you know clear sort of uh, hierarchy set within the house because once they leave it, it's male know. violence is represented both within and outside. So yeah, I, I think this takes us back to that colossal discussion which we had way right. back in episode two. It's yeah, that's this. This is the most interesting part of the film. But and I think that was what really saddened me because it, it didn't doesn't, take it doesn't take that it initial. This idea is good, but yeah, it expresses it visually a, in a very simple it's a way. That is, and it's you know, subtle. You have to think yeah. about it to actually. I, I thought it was yeah. fair, fairly ma- clear, ma- ma- Maybe, maybe uh, I think that's where the perspective shift comes in. For some people, that idea, that suggestion, may have been enough. I found the film entertaining. I found it funny, but it didn't really take things to the level of depth either visually or in tone, atmosphere um, metaphor or symbolism as any of us would have liked by the sound of it So that was The Beguiled by Sophie Coppola, it's in cinemas now 
Stay with us on Film Fight Club, where we'll be talking about Jagger Jesus. Being injured in an accident can have a real impact on you financially. Injuries can mean time off work, medical bills and other expenses. But you might actually be entitled to compensation to cover these expenses. If you're unsure, call a specialist injury lawyer and ask. Law Partners is Australia's largest specialist personal injury firm. And it costs nothing to call their local office to get some advice. Call Law Partners on 133529 or visit lawpartners.com.au. Two SER sponsors. Welcome back to Film Fight Club. Let's talk about Jaka Jasus. I know as the resident Indian film critic or person who likes Indian films, I have been harassing this panel to watch an Indian film with me. And finally, this past week, we did. But ironically, we ended up watching the least Bollywood-centric film ever. Which the least Bollywood-Bollywood yeah. Bollywood film. What yes, the least Bollywood-Bollywood film. And ironically, it. the most ambitious Disney-produced film ever, I think, in Ooh. recent memory. Mm. In recent memory, at least. In recent memory, yeah. Yes, mm. uh, yeah. from the kind of products Disney is known in the West, this was far out of left field. So the film we're talking about is called Jaga Jasus. It's directed by Anurag Basu, who also directed... Barfi, another film with a lot of references that you might recognize from Buster Keaton and the good old days of Hollywood yore. So he loves his Western references, and there were a lot of them in this film. In fact, I find it difficult how to categorize this film, which I think is a good thing because films are a visual medium, and this film used a lot of visual aesthetics for yeah. its... This movie, it's hard to describe the plot, and it's hot. Okay, basically, Without giving spoilers. Yeah, it's basically. it's it's a movie. It's a movie within a movie within a movie within a movie. Yes, it's movie fair. It's movie theception, guys. Movie-ception. It's, there's a fun fair inside the fun fair. There's a woman reading a bunch of kids the story of a comic book character, and we we are inside basically taking this- on a journey of this comic book character called Jaga Jasus, who is a detective of sorts. But also, we basically the through line of the entire film is this young uh, sort of man-child kind Tintin. of Tintin, Tintin kind of Tintin like character looking and searching for his adoptive father per like se a, who taught him to be the master detective yeah. and all-around nice guy he is today pretty much who has in an interesting parallel to last week's film of the week Baby Driver he has a stutter, stutter. and in order to avoid stuttering he's forced to sing and yeah. so the musical sequences are therefore contextualized in the film in this way yes okay so one thing uh, let me point out and forewarning for everyone who's listening this film has a lot of music in fact, oh, yeah, this entire musical. film is a musical in the true sense of the word. You know, yeah. most of the lines and verses are actually sung, and this actually makes a lot of sense. In fact, this film used music better than Edgar Wright's Baby Driver last week, which oh. I was surprised by, because honestly, this has a lot of Edgar Wright-like style It has a lot of Edgar Wright-type editing. Yes. Um, this movie has a lot of ideas. I said to Virat when we walked out of this, that, that we when it finished, that... It was the most movie of the year. Yes. It has the most editing, Tintin the most Lee. cinematography. Yeah, the most ideas, probably. It has yes, actually, like the idea, many... like sticking to the wall ratio as to what sticks and doesn't stick. It's, it's mostly quite good. full on. Most, most of the things it tries do work, but there's still a lot of things that don't, yeah. simply because this movie is overflowing with ideas. Yeah. And it's, it's long. 
Like, yeah. yeah, your money's it, it, worth. It, it, it's, it's, it's three hours long, yes. Uh, felt, did we honestly, forget to mention that? Yeah. This movie felt like it has enough ideas for a miniseries. It is relentless. Things are constantly happening. This this could have been like, uh, for, for so a moment, I felt like this. I was watching an extended episode of Twin Peaks. Essentially, Whoa. because no, without the Lynchian perfection, let's not go into the Lynchian aspect of it. But this idea where you basically have a director and this his brainchild, and he's given this free reign and this massive budget to make you know something far out of left field in a mainstream environment, which rarely happens okay. and almost never for Bollywood. This, this movie reminds me of Love Exposure, which is a four-hour Japanese film. Um, from about 10 years ago, in that it has so much plot that even at its long-running time, it still is just relentlessly moving the story along. Yeah. Um, it reminded me of Speed Racer, in that it has these really off-the-wall kind of digital transitions and like a cartoon come-to-life aesthetic. Um, it, it reminds me of a lot of weird off-the-beaten-track films and yet is still completely yeah. its own thing. I mean, just to references, and that's just amazing because... Let me contextualize this for you. you. We have what Basu's favorite sort of uh, Bengali sensibilities coming through with Satyajit Ray and his sort of Gopigane Bhagabanye sort of, you know, comedy adventure films, that kind of dynamic, which is very sort of, you know, comic book sensibility, but set in India. And then you have Faluda, the, the Indian detective characters. Then you have Tintin. Then you have <laughs> basically... You know, Buster Keaton, which is Hollywood Yore. Then we have Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. And then we come back to some kind of hodgepodge, which is so unique. Because even though it's drawing from all these different sources, it's still its own beast in some way. Because that world doesn't function without its inherent consistency. And there's something weird about it. Because... And this is something which I've been sort of having a gripe about, where if you think you're a movie nerd, this is your movie, basically. Because this movie is not about plot. This movie is not about storyline. This movie is not about character development. This movie is essentially about the visual aesthetic. It definitely had all these like movie references. I felt that the tone of this was, was quite strange. Um, it's in the violent parts. It's quite funny and strange. Sometimes it, it gets serious in the parts that could easily have been more lighthearted. I, I think the worst sort of most troublesome parts for me were the songs. Because, you know, usually like what happens in conventional Bollywood mainstream films is that people who go to watch them are used to songs. You so know, they expect songs. Is that one of the characteristics that this film shared with bo- traditional Bollywood films? Yes, but it also aspect? inverts it because it uses songs in a way which are not the way that usual mainstream Bollywood films use songs. Well, the way the fact that the songs in the movie, movies, the lyrics itself are quite dark. Yes. They use quite dark lyrics that address social, deep yeah. social issues. The, yeah. The music was genuinely moving the story along instead yeah. of just being everything stops for the musical sequence. I mean, I mean it's, it, it's fascinating. Like one, one sequence where, you know, Katrina Kaif is with the group of kids and she's, you know, telling them about why should you care. And it is the most political sequence ever because it's talking about 
anti-militarism, it's talking about farmer suicide, it's talking about weaponry and mass destruction, and yet it's a peppy song. And you have these kids that are smiling and like dancing and, and singing. that cognitive dissonance just blew my mind. I'm like, this is dark. This okay. is really dark. The, the problem with the film for me is that the hyperkineticism never lets up, but the movie doesn't completely pull off the mastery that you need to keep a, a, a freight train rolling back and forward through time you know over the over three hours um it, it there's a spielbergian sense to the action sequences but there isn't spielberg's grasp of physical on-screen space so sometimes the edits come out of nowhere and it's like you, you miss what's just happened um there's very good physical comedy in this. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's one of the other things where if you are looking for directors that actually use physical comedy, which doesn't get utilized on screen, that kind of blocking and that sensibility, it's there, which is also pretty rare for any film, not even mm. Bollywood. I, th- I think the hyperkineticism is both a blessing and a curse because I think the film would be stronger if it slowed down just a little just bit. Just to breathe. Yeah, just to breathe. There are images in this that are fantastic and then they're wasted. It moves away from them immediately. In, so instead of holding one beautiful image, it gives you six. There's one great one, two pretty good ones, and three just filler ones. And the yeah. movie would be stronger if it trusted the material instead of constantly trying to jolt our attention span. I think there is virtue in the speed of it, but... It, yeah, it, it just doesn't always. I, work. I think this movie is twenty years ahead of its time because, in the in the mainstream Bollywood context, it's trying to do something which has not been attempted for as long as I remember. So it's the very first attempt of that kind of cinema, and it's just amazing how, you know, you have to visualize it to be able to actually have that idea and execute it to the level that it was. I think was yeah. fascinating. It's insanely creative. I it, mean, it, it, is. it moves back and forward in time throughout three different framing devices it has musical scenes that are also action sequences yes that are timed and edited so well and it with yeah i mean there there is a so shootout long. sequence closer to the end of the film which is set to music which will remind you of edgar wright yeah. just like that i mean i will not even kidding you'll think oh this is edgar wright it, it's just overflowing with ideas, and I admire its ambition, even if I don't think it always works. It, it's such a unique blur yeah. of a film. I mean, if, if you really think that films lack creativity, that they've become a cesspool of lazy, over-commercialized corporate junk, I recommend this you is check the out movie. this film. This is the yeah. movie you, you should watch. Try it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just go and try it. It's unlike anything you've seen. Yeah. Just for that, I agree go with and that. see it. We'll be back with a rundown of some of the week's news and film. Stay tuned. UTS Haverfield Club offers great quality food with terrific views and is just a short trip from the city. Open every day, your Friday evening is soundtracked with live mellow jazz, making UTS Haverfield Club's dining experience truly memorable. Whatever the occasion, you'll be inspired by the delicious menu and the superb location on Iron Cove Bay. Visit utshaberfield.com.au for info and bookings. Sponsors of 2SER 107.3. Welcome back to Film Fight Club. There is news coming out that the next Doctor is going to be Jodie Whittaker. Yeah, a woman. Everybody be shocked. What do we feel about it? Which means... It has killed off the show for so many people. Doctor Who. Doctor S. Who? who I, 
Doctor Who will kill me for calling Doctor Who. The best comment about this I I, I read on Twitter was this uh, exchange where the new Doctor would step out from the TARDIS and, you know, she would meet the companion who would, instead of making the Doctor Who, you know, reference, would just say, Doctor, so, is that like a nurse? Oh, I saw that tweet. How do we feel about it? Yes, that's the main point. Addy, yes, how do you feel about this gender bending? Well, it was quite inevitable that Doctor Who would eventually become a woman. I I love it. I reckon it's one of those things where you don't realise that the whole series of Doctor Who has been played by a, a white male, and to have a woman come in, it's a breath of fresh air. And I mean, they gave fair warning, let's be honest. I mean, you know, this was pretty much highlighted throughout the series with Capaldi's references about, is the future going to be all female? And he said, we hope so. And then with the master regenerating into Missy with Michelle Gomez, and her performance was fantastic. And I mean, very well received. So why this kerfuffle? I don't get it. I'm kind of bemused by the whole thing, I guess. In discussion about it, people are saying, oh, well, the Doctor's always been a, a straight white male why can't the doc- why hasn't the doctor been a woman yet it makes no sense the doctor doesn't have a gender the doctor an has an alien the doctor's an alien but the doctor isn't really an alien he's a male bbc tv show character which is the reason why he's always been a man he's he's he's, he's bbc yeah but, yeah he's, oh yeah that, that, that that's a fair point i mean we forget the institutions yeah. that actually perpetuate our understanding of what characters should represent and yes. i think when people think these things happen in a vacuum that's the biggest mistake that, you know, just because something has been in a way that was installed and actually inculcated because of a tradition and because of what it represented. So it's not just, hey, this is, you know, a fictional character. It has very real significance. I guess there's the point now that BBC would like to have its franchise of Doctor Who led by a a woman. Now we're in a point where all the major franchises that aren't from Marvel have female lead characters right now. It's Star Wars. But but also, uh, on a fair point, I mean, Doctor Who has to expand its fan base, you know, not just appeal to Whovians across the world, but also to other people who are not familiar with this concept. So, you know, it's been alienating a lot of the population with that kind of fan service of just having, you know, the basic straight white male mm. dude playing the Doctor. I'm which, not so uh, sure. I think Doctor Who is incredibly popular with young women. I, I'm a Whovian. Be- yeah. I feel yeah, like I'm a I, I, I agree. because of the attractive guys that have played doc- played the Doctor. Well, I don't... Peter Capaldi has seen a, a ratings drop, I think, because uh, he's an old man. It I has mean, shifted away from the young hot guy. To the, I mean, yeah. is the Doctor actually a man? I know that we can say, oh, he's a genderless alien, but I would feel like in a strange way, his masculinity is a major part of the character in every incarnation we've seen to date. And that's kind of been the through line. He's like James Bond. He's been shifting with the time, but it's always been a man. Just instead of being an awful misogynist, he is like a kind of inquisitive, quirky quirky friend. But then, then also at the same time, that's even more troublesome because when that quirkiness is also encapsulated within gender. Mm. When that quirkiness is applied to masculinity, it becomes, you know, attractive. But when that quirkiness translates to femininity or or female characters, it becomes equally disattractive, unattractive. That's a a very good point. we, we, We see quirky women as odd or weird or basically 
Zoe Deschanel types right. who basically fit kind in of the, the, the dream girl yes, those kinds of and those negative and cliches. that kind of thing about the doctor being a female is that what how will the writers write her in the series if they do maintain, is she going to be sexualized or made she to... won't be sexualized but I, I think why not I mean like, we've, we've had the Doctor Companion sexual tension I would like it to be reversed I mean I really liked it in the Children's of Need special with Rowan Atkinson that like, was a lot is of fun is there a sort of expectation that because she's a woman suddenly we're going to view her a different way Oh, definitely. Yeah, I, I think like people did of... view her differently as the master. I think that was changed. I think her state as the master and her sort of... The uh, whole master and the master doctor, doctor dynamic, dynamic changed, the whole definitely. wife. Yeah, with yeah. River, River Song and River that sort Song, of thing. Yeah. So I, I guess... I think it could be very tra- progressive in an interesting way if they do maintain yeah, the but, essential but, but not, not the just character. For, if they make, uh, yeah. him, if they make, make the new female doctor quirky... Yeah. An oddball, instead of toning those things yeah. down to but, make but also, her a proper, yeah. what a so- society kinda, wants an English yeah. woman to be yeah. a character. That's Mary Poppins, uh, essentially. Yeah. I, yeah. I agree. Yeah. Because, uh, let's be honest, it's not just about overt political sort of messaging or political correctness. It's also about what the writers think, you know, female characters ought to represent on screen. Because let's be honest, it's not just about that. It's about what is the position of a female character on screen? Mm-hmm. What like, is she allowed to be? Yeah. You know, for now in Doctor Who canon, she's only been ever allowed to be a companion. Exactly. So in the like, majority sense. So, uh, what is her role as an actual agent who can take charge? Exactly. So, the whole time the females on Doctor Who have been women, but never the main the main person, the Doctor, being a woman. It's kind of like saying, you know, you can be in positions of assistance, but you can never be in the lead position as the Doctor, as the main character. And that... Yeah, they're trying to... Sh- trying the, the, to the whole Doctor-companion dynamic is really a remnant of... Like of, submissive and dominant kind of yeah, ideas. Yeah, it's, it's very... It's, it's based, very, like, secretary. Yeah. yeah. It's very yeah. old, outdated. <laughs> Film Fight Club will return. We'll be back next week, and hopefully Glenn will be back as well with us. We're Nehru. Goodbye. Thanks so much for, ha- for being on the show this week, Addy. Thank you. And up next, it's The Sonic Assassin. <laughs>